A growing body of research shows much of the growth in medical care spending over the last five years comes from a marked increase in patients receiving treatments for chronic conditions like diabetes and high blood pressure, to name just a few. But these costs could be contained with education and healthy lifestyles. Welcome to Inside Healthcare on ReachMD XM Channel 157, the channel for medical professionals. I'm Bruce Japson, the healthcare reporter for the Chicago Tribune, and with me today is Dr. Ronald Davis, president of the American Medical Association. Dr. Davis is a preventive medicine specialist from East Lansing, Michigan, who became the 162nd president of the AMA in June of last year. Dr. Davis was first elected to the AMA Board of Trustees in June of 2001 and re-elected in 2005. Dr. Davis is quite passionate and known nationally for a track record in public health, having served as the director of the CDC's Office on Smoking and Health from 1987 to 1991. Dr. Davis, welcome to Inside Healthcare on ReachMD. It's great to have you here. Good to be with you, Bruce. Well, this has been a passion of yours for not just a few years, but for a lifetime, this whole idea of preventive medicine and healthy lifestyles. And if there was ever a time in our nation's history that that should be at the forefront of what is going on in healthcare, it's now. And if you could be so kind as to outline some of the things going on in this regard and where we need to go. Well, thanks, Bruce. As I've said before, we hear a lot of lip service in favor of doing more on prevention. And uh, people talked about how an ounce of prevention is worth a pound of cure for a long time. The presidential candidates, in, in large part, are, are embracing the idea of prevention. But we're not really putting our dollars where our, where our mouth is. We have what I would describe as a prevention deficit disorder in this nation. We do not give prevention anywhere near the primacy that we should, given how much it would do to prevent premature mortality, morbidity, disability, and so on. And if we look, for example, at some of the underlying risk factors for the leading causes of death, the main ones are tobacco, poor diet, physical inactivity, and alcohol. And if we could get people to not smoke, to get exercise or physical activity, to eat a a healthy diet, to avoid alcohol abuse, we would prevent hundreds of thousands of deaths each year and save a whole lot in the problem of rising health care costs. Well, Dr. Davis, you bring up an interesting point. We could talk about smoking, quite frankly. I know you've been talking about that for a long time. People pay $10 for a pack of cigarettes, so there's still a huge problem in this country. Is there still a government effort as far as smoking to be educating people about the dangers of smoking, or is that something that you and your role in public health and the AMA, do you have to keep on government entities about pushing people to know about the dangers of smoking? We have to keep pushing on this issue because there are a lot of adults that continue to smoke. Even though about 45 million Americans have quit smoking, we still have about the same number who continue to smoke. We continue to have uh, more than a million kids take up smoking every year. We continue to have a tobacco industry that preys upon the more vulnerable people in our population through more than $10 billion of advertising and promotion every year, even though they're not on TV and radio and we've gotten the cigarette ads off billboards, they're still doing a lot of cigarette promotion through a variety of means. And so we still have our challenges in front of us to reach a smoke-free society, as former Surgeon General C. Everett Koop called for a long, long time ago. 
we're also talking about an addicting drug, nicotine. And uh, fortunately, we have some treatments available for doctors to prescribe to their patients who smoke. We have five nicotine products, the patch, the gum, the inhaler, the nasal spray, and the lozenge. We have two prescription medications that are non-nicotine, Zyban and Chantix. So we have a lot of treatments available that are proven to be effective. We just need to make sure that smokers are motivated to quit, that they access available treatments, and that physicians and other health professionals give them the, the support that they need to quit and to stay quit. Well, in, in another area of healthy lifestyles, you hear a lot about not necessarily just what the government may be doing to advocate exercise and diet and so forth, but you're seeing on the employer side, finally, it, it seems like this should have been going on years ago, where employers are actually providing financial incentives, uh, free health club memberships, uh, $25 off of your out-of-paycheck deduction premium if you participate in something as simple as an online health screening. Do you see more of this, and and is this a surprise to you, or what what are your thoughts on some of these employer movements here? Well, it's not a surprise at all because employers and company CEOs are, are becoming more and more aware that preventable illness is hurting them. It's hurting them through uh, absenteeism of their employees. It's hurting them through what's called presenteeism, which means that even if people are ill and go to work, they're less productive. So it's hurting them on the productivity side of things. It's hurting them on employee morale, and it's hurting them in, in terms of their health care expenditures. Many of them are getting it, at least the larger employers. They're investing in wellness. They're incentivizing their employees to take advantage of wellness programs that they're offering. As you point out, we see this, for example, at my own company, the Henry Ford Health System. We have about 17,000 employees. And a couple of years ago, we began an incentive program where we offered $100. Uh, Well, first, we offered $50 to every employee, 17,000 employees, just to take a health risk appraisal on the computer to address what their lifestyles are, their uh, health habits, their history of disease, And then the health risk appraisal gives them a profile of their health status and tips on how to improve it. So they got $50 just for doing that, and that builds awareness and creates some motivation. Then the following year, we we gave them $50 to redo the health risk appraisal and another $50 to sign up for health risk reduction programs. And this year, we're going up to $125. Many other companies are doing that and uh, they're seeing a positive return on investment. Well, if you're just joining us, or even if you're new to our channel, you're listening to Inside Healthcare on ReachMD XM157, the channel for medical professionals. I'm Bruce Japson, the healthcare reporter for the Chicago Tribune. And with me today is Dr. Ronald Davis, who's the president of the American Medical Association, and his specialty is preventive medicine. And we're talking about healthy lifestyles and various strategies going on around the country to encourage healthy lifestyles. And Dr. Davis, you just brought up an interesting point about how some of the large employers out there are actually providing cash incentives to get people to do something like fill out a a health screening or whatever. Is this work? Is it too early to know whether this works? Are we seeing any data out there about some of the strategies to promote healthy lifestyles by employers or others that shows that it's making some inroads? There's a lot of data that shows that it is making an an inroad, and obviously some interventions are more cost-effective than others. Certainly interventions to get people to get their flu shot. We just went through flu season, and we're still really in flu season. So immunizations have always had a huge benefit-cost ratio, generally about $10 saved for a dollar spent and various other cardiovascular disease 
prevention programs, whether it's a quit smoking program or a fitness program or a nutrition program, they do provide, as I mentioned, a very positive return on investment. I think it's also important to, to point out that we can deliver these services through employers, through schools. Uh, we can educate about these things in the mass media, but we can also do a huge amount in the doctor's office and in hospitals and in other healthcare facilities. And let me just mention that we have a U.S. Preventive Services Task Force, which has issued 90 recommendations on preventive services based on the evidence. This is a task force administered by the Agency for Healthcare Research and Quality, AHRQ. And the services that are recommended are way underutilized. And Partnership for Prevention, a coalition of organizations in Washington, they put out a report last August that said if we increase the use of just five of these preventive services, to 90% of the target population, we would save more than 100,000 lives each year in the United States. And much of this is done through healthcare settings. 45,000 lives would be saved if 90% of adults who are at higher risk of heart disease would use aspirin, low-dose aspirin daily. 42,000 lives would be saved if 90% of smokers were advised by a health professional to quit and offered medication or other assistance. Another 14,000 lives saved for colorectal cancer screening, 12,000 for annual flu immunization, 3,700 for breast cancer screening. So uh, that's the low-hanging fruit, more than 100,000 lives saved each year if we would boost the delivery of just five preventive services up to 90% or more, and there are many other services that we can do better on. Well, Dr. Davis, also, it's interesting from a government standpoint, is the government doing a better job or not on the federal level of promoting healthy lifestyles? It seems like when I was a kid, you had the president's physical fitness that you heard about all of the time, and it just doesn't seem like there is that much awareness, at least from the the federal government or just, you know, PSAs that you hear about? I mean, has the United States, have we lagged in this area? I think we have lagged. Uh, We have done a lot of good things. Uh, The Centers for Disease Control and Prevention, the CDC, for example, they have a lot of outstanding programs on healthy lifestyles and other kinds of interventions for health promotion and disease prevention. They have their own guidelines, not for clinical preventive services, but for community preventive services, which lays out, based on the evidence, which programs, which policies are effective in preventing premature mortality and morbidity. But there are some areas where we're lagging. For example, I mentioned that the U.S. Preventive Services Task Force has issued recommendations for 90 preventive services, clinical preventive services. However, Medicare only provides coverage for about a dozen of those. So we need to change Medicare law to allow Medicare to cover more preventive services. Yeah, that's interesting that you bring that up because the Medicare program, I think, only in recent years has started to cover preventive services, and I think it is just a handful. That's right. And the problem is with Medicare law, which says that Medicare shall pay for services and tools that are reasonable and necessary for the diagnosis or treatment of illness or injury. So the word prevention is missing. So we need to add it, add prevention so that they'll pay for things that are reasonable and necessary for the prevention, diagnosis, or treatment of illness or injury. And then that would let the Centers for Medicare and Medicaid Services add preventive services to Medicare rather than simply waiting for an act of Congress. Most of the preventive services that are covered now, the dozen or so through Medicare, uh, they're only covered because Congress amended the law 
to add flu shots, to add screening mammography, to add screening for colorectal cancer. The federal government is doing many good things in prevention. The Centers for Disease Control and Prevention, for example, uh, has many very strong programs to educate the public about healthy lifestyles and other things that can be done to prevent premature mortality and morbidity. They also have guidelines on community preventive services, which lay out, based on the evidence, which are the most effective programs and policies to prevent disease and premature death. Well, I would like to thank Dr. Ronald Davis, who's been our guest. He's the president of the American Medical Association, but he's also a preventive medicine specialist at the Henry Ford Health System in Detroit. I'm Bruce Japson of the Chicago Tribune. You've been listening to Inside Healthcare on ReachMD XM157, the channel for medical professionals. Uh, we welcome your comments and questions about Dr. Davis's expert advice on healthy lifestyles through our website at reachmd.com, which now features our entire medical show library and on-demand podcasts. And I would like to thank you today for listening.